The Real Chemistry Podcast connects the dots between our guests and the innovative work they do to show up and shape the future of healthcare. Why? So you, the listener, are encouraged to join us on our relentless pursuit to make the world a healthier place for all. Some may call it idealism. We call it real chemistry. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, Chief Marketing Officer of Real Chemistry and host of the Real Chemistry Podcast. Today, I guess like many of our last podcasts, uh, we bring you someone that's very special. Um, I think you're going to love her perspective and her journey. Her name is Annalisa Jenkins. And I don't really know how to introduce her other than to say that she is a true leader in the industry. Um, She's the former president and CEO of Dimension Therapeutics, which uh, she took public and sold to Ultragenics, former head of global research and development EVP at Merck Serono. She spent 15 years at BMS, and she now sits on uh, close to a dozen boards, things like Genomics England, Compass Pathways, Affimed, you know, on and on. And so... And then she started her her career in the British Royal Navy, which you'll hear more about. Um, But I I really think that this is one that you will truly appreciate the historical perspective she provides. We also get some insight from my guest co-host, Jim Weiss, who you've heard many times, our founder and um, chairman. And I do turn the tables a few times to ask him some questions as well, because it's rare that you get two people with such deep industry expertise. So hopefully you enjoyed this show as much as I do. And uh, take a listen, grab a uh, cup of your favorite beverage, and uh, let us know what you think. All right. So we have Annalisa Jenkins on, uh, a special guest from London or from England, I should say. I don't know where in England that you hail from, but I know that you and Jim connected on his trip recently. Um, always lovely to have Jim on as my, my co-host. And I think one of the things we want to get started with Annalisa, we always want to know, you know, sort of how people got to where they are. You have a particularly fascinating background and we'll figure this out as we go along, but talk a little bit about going from the British Royal Navy, you know, sort of during the Gulf war conflict, um, all the way to, you know, pharma industry and where you are now. I know that's, we could probably talk for an hour just on that particular topic, but start us off on like what that journey's look like. Thanks, Aaron. And uh, thanks, Jim. It's great to be here today. Um, So yes, I graduated in medicine in the UK, in London, actually, Um, made my way pretty quickly into the military and served in the British Navy for nine years. And as you say, found myself floating off the coast of Kuwait in 1990, 91, um, and then came back, um, went back into clinical care in cardiovascular medicine. And it was in the late 90s that um, having circumvented the globe once and had this remarkable career with the British uh, forces that I felt that um, I really wanted to explore some more adventures. So I decided to sign up to the pharmaceutical industry. And in those days, that was not a very popular career choice here in the UK. And a few people said to me, you know, why would you go to the dark side? Um, but I did. And I, I moved over and I joined Bristol Myers Squibb in the UK. And for 14 years, I worked with Bristol Myers Squibb in roles of increasing responsibility, largely building teams globally, actually, across many countries, uh, focused on late stage drug development, medical affairs, access, pricing, reimbursement, safety. And I did that based in London, Australia, Paris, and then subsequently at global headquarters in Princeton. 
After that, um, I actually decided I wanted to take a bit more of a journey into R&D. So I ended up um, taking a role at Merck Serono. I moved to Ger- Switzerland and then Germany and ran global R&D there for a few years. And, and then having spent so many years in Big Pharma, decided to take another detour into biotech. Started a gene therapy company in in uh, Boston, Dimension Therapeutics. That was a remarkable experience. Took the company public on the Nasdaq and sold it to Ultragenics, a uh, leading rare disease company. At the end of seventeen. So that brings me to today. And having lived and worked abroad for so many years, decided to relocate back to where I am today, actually in London. And I have a portfolio of roles now and. I'm still very interested in therapeutics, but have recently um, taken on roles, both public and private boards across um, digital data, tech, CDMO, generics, across the spectrum, really. And I also have a pretty significant portfolio in the nonprofit sector in health and a little bit of work for the UK government on their UK genomic strategy. So that's me. What an amazing journey. Amazing journey. You know, uh, putting my hat on as one of the advisors to Healthcare Women's Business Association, I, I really was interested in understanding in this period of time that you were coming up, we talk a lot about women leadership and in biotech and the life sciences. What was your experience? You know, how did you find it as probably one of the very few senior level executives who was making this transition from academia into, well, I'm sure academia is one set of issues and then coming into pharma another. So I'd I'd love to hear um, a little bit of your perspective since a lot of our audience are women uh, who are looking to advance their careers. Yeah, and a great shout out for the HBA, actually. I was honored to be recognized as the HBA Woman of the Year um, a few years ago. Remarkable organization and, and very important in terms of you know, what they can do to help women aspire, uh, flourish and achieve um, according to their potential uh, across our industry. Well, look, you know, it's interesting that um, I started my career in the British military. And I will point out that in those days, there were very few women medical officers in the British Royal Navy. Um, I was the third to be recruited. I was the first female physician to serve on the front line in conflict and only the second woman ever to serve overnight at sea. And that was, you know, in the early 90s. And it's fair to say that my entire journey through the, the Navy probably set me up pretty well for my career that was to come in the, in the industry because I was constantly, I, I should say that when I went to sea in 1990, I was in a squadron of 700 men and I was the only woman in that squadron for a year at sea. So I then entered the industry and again I I think I was pretty much always a little bit the odd one out in the early phases of my career because not only was I a woman I was pretty young and I was British and I was working in a company that was well known obviously to be a a major east coast um, very large significant uh, company but I, again, often found myself um, the first or the only in the room. And that really continued um, probably throughout most of my career, actually. Having said that, Jim, um, I never really felt like the odd one out. And I always felt that, you know, I was given such amazing opportunities, largely and importantly, by men, because when I looked up, Throughout my career, I generally saw remarkable leadership 
and they were men. Not exclusively, and it's changed a little bit over time, but that really was the way that I experienced the, uh, the industry. And I was inspired by them. I was mentored by them. And I clearly was sponsored all the way through my career by some remarkable senior leaders in our industry. And, and that continues to today. Because when I left my role as the CEO of Dimension Therapeutics, of course, I then took the journey into board directorships, non-executive directorships. And we know that even today, there are remarkably few women serving um, on boards, particularly in the biotech sector, although that number is increasing, and even less occupying the role of chair. So I've always felt that it's been my job to, um, not to fight, but to sort of to, to drive progress, to try and lead from the front, and to be a role model, and to show women, certainly from the new generation, that is actually possible to move through, aspire, achieve, and to do that by remaining a woman and, you know, not having to lose the uh, some of those attributes that we love <laughs> that are so very different from the attributes that we love in our male colleagues. <laughs> so I have a question for you. You know, you are someone that has an amazing background. Uh, just looking at the list of some of the boards you're on, like Genomics England, yeah. Compass Pathways, Alphamed, I mean, you have a, a close to a dozen, right? Or maybe it's eight or 10. So I'm sure everybody would love to have you on their board, right? Given the depth of experience you have. So what is your vetting process? Like, how do you select which these, uh, which of these you want to do? And what is your filter in general for um, deciding to, to allocate your time to those efforts? Yeah, well, that's a really great question. And I, I would say earlier in my career, I've been serving on boards for about 10, 12 years now. And, you know, I actually took me a while to work through what really was important to me. Um, and also, I think, where I could make an optimal contribution. I think that's really important as well. So a couple of things I always look out for. I, I personally have to get excited and energized about the purpose and mission of an organization. That's been a consistent theme for me throughout my career. So I have to get really excited. It, these days, I can have the luxury of taking a little bit more risk. So I often lean into things a little bit risky. For example, Compass is a good example. You know, um, I got into Compass pretty early on at a time when psychedelic medicine, mental health, wasn't exactly trendy. I mean, it's obviously, it's evolved a lot since then. Um, but I can, I could lean into some of these really innovative, novel advances and disruptive sort of dislocating uh, technologies, number one. Number two, it's all about the people. I have to feel that I can um, go to work every day inspired by colleagues, uh, continually inquisitive and wanting to learn more from the companies, the management teams and my board colleagues. So the people that I work with are just tremendously important to me. Uh, third really is uh, really good diligence, really good diligence on who owns the company, <laughs> who makes the decisions. And um, really, the, the journey that the, the company is likely to be on in the next um, two to three years. I don't shy away from companies that need lots of capital today, of course, in this environment. It's challenging. But I, I will say that um, I'm not that patient. So I do like to get on board and start to make a difference and see progress. Progress is important to me. So I would say that's, that's the third thing. I think this notion of who owns the company particularly uh, in the private sector, 
and who ultimately therefore um, will be making a lot of the decisions is really, really important to make sure there's complete alignment in purpose, culture, mission, and priorities for an organization before you sign up to a board. So Jim, before I let you ask a question, I I know this is about Annalisa, but you obviously are in a little bit of that same position, having founded Real Chemistry and now you know, acting as the chairman of the board, but you're going out and you've, I think, been added to a number of boards. To me, that seems like that's a great criteria. Do you have anything different to, or, or what is your view as you look at the different board opportunities or investment opportunities that you go through? Well, to be straight up, I think, you know, given my profile versus Annalisa's, they're very different in terms of why someone would seek me out. You know, mine is network and investor relations and marketing and commercial as opposed to, I think, development and, you know, some of the science and reach into certain parts of the world that Annalisa has. But I think all the things she said are important. I mean, speed and progress, you know, sort of people taking your advice is important. You've got to team up with people you're aligned with that the mission is, you know, aligned, the ownership is aligned. All those things have mattered to our success and all those things matter to any company's success. Now, we can't control the science and the outcome all that much. We can only control how we put it together, um, check the right boxes, put the right people, right seats, and that is harder than ever. Um, and again, I think this combination of Boards that are nonprofit and for-profit is a really great combination, as you know, and I find they inform one another in a really terrific way because the, you know, I would say reason for being in both cases is quite different and they there's a nice tension there um, that you can bring when you're on that board. Um, you know, I think recently about my work with the American Cancer Society and Cancer Research Institute that brings a perspective to a corporate board that I don't think you often see. So I think it's all about the science at the end of the day. So what Annalisa has talked about is a good transition to my question to her, which is what do you think your greatest hits are in terms of impact on patients over the years, bringing your expertise, scientific background um, knowledge of the industry through the different things, you know, you've done, what would you say would be, say, the three greatest hits? I know you've sold a company to Ultragenics. You mentioned that, but I meant more in terms of impact on patient and, and, and the future of medicine. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me look backwards and let me then perhaps, um, think about the future because I think that you know one informs the other. So over my career, I would say that there are probably, as you say, three or four, uh, I guess, highlights or I, I guess the most sort of pivotal moments really in my in my career. The first would be that I was fortunate to spend a large part of my career working under two really amazing leaders in our industry, Dr. Elliot Siegel and Dr. Brian Daniels, who together fundamentally transformed not only the pipeline and drug development at Bristol-Myers Squibb, but also uh, led the, the journey of pharma into biopharma. 
So, you know, this transition to say, how can we take the best of biotech and the best of pharma, put them together, and then look out for collaboration? That was a really transforming phase of our industry around 2003 to about 2009. And I was really at the center there as they were leading that charge. So that that has really changed our industry. Um, and during that time, I was lucky enough to be pretty central to the evolution of thinking around immunotherapy and cancer. And again, you know, there have been many, many moments in time, you know, across different uh, therapeutic areas and different modalities. But I have to say that realization that we could um, use different tools, actually. But in those days, we were working on the CTLA-4 pathway, uh, Medrex and Ipilimumab. So I was fortunate enough to contribute to the development and approval of Ipilimumab, which I think really sets in train uh, what we see now as the uh, wonderful uh, outcomes for patients living with cancer as it relates to immunotherapy. So that that was really a special moment in time. You know, the other uh, achievement you mentioned, I mentioned dimension therapeutics. That was a fascinating journey as well. And it continues to this day because, again, it was the reemergence and the evolution of thinking around AAV gene therapy and gene therapies in general, which people forget had had a huge history. I mean, they've been going for 30 years, 20, 30 years, uh, up and down, sort of start, stop. But it really in about 2013, 14, that was a time when people realized that we were in fact going to be able to leverage viral biology <laughs> to deliver genes. And actually, interestingly, you know, Dimension was one of the earlier uh, companies. And I'm pleased to say that a number of those programs are successfully moving forward for kids with uh, rare metabolic disorders in ultragenics. And we've just recently seen the approval of the first product for hemophilia B with an AAB gene therapy. So again, it just reminds us that you know, through our careers, we can touch uh, a sector, we can touch programs, but these are long journeys. But ultimately, it's wonderful to see these products finally being approved and spurring and enabling the next generation of products. So that, I think that was the second one. You know, I, I also um, today would say that my third, the thing I'm most proud of, I think, really, is the people that I've had the opportunity to mentor, coach, and professionally support over the years. I was very lucky in my career that often I was leading organizations with thousands of employees, whether it was sort of the senior leader in medical at Bristol, head of R&D at Merck Serono, CEO of a company. You know, it, I think it, the ultimate privilege in our career is thinking through how to take remarkably smart, bright young people and help them apply their intellect and their passion to make great things happen uh, that impacts health on a global basis. And so I would say, Jim, that that has probably given me the most pleasure. And I'm old enough now to see a lot of those young people occupying the really senior roles in the industry. And I actually, I just really it gives me the greatest pleasure to see every day their achievements. Well, I share that. You know, I think, you know, one of the things of, the opportunity of being around for continuity. You know, I was at Genentech in the early 90s and listening to this story, it resonates, right? Because there was a period of time where, you know, Art Levinson used to say, you know, he came, he sort of left pharma, went to biotech, that influenced this interchange. 
and listening to what you said, now the great advances in immunotherapy really came from that marriage of those two disciplines. And now looking forward, you're involved in so many things. Where do we go from here? You know, where yeah. are we going from here? Well, I mean, it is actually, I often get asked this question, you know, um, how excited are you still to be working 24-7 in the industry? And I, I give the same answer. I couldn't be more excited. Uh, you know, so we still have remarkable advances uh, taking place in small molecule medicinal chemistry. There's absolutely no doubt. Uh, the application of digital data AI machine learning in the preclinical space discovery. I work in uh, companies that are, you know, leveraging AI and machine learning to unpack intracellular pathways in cancer. Um, amazing work in single cell microscopy. I work with a company with a very wonderful young female founder, um, again, unpacking uh, pathways uh, subcellularly, which ultimately will unpack and offer new discoveries around pathways and targets. And target identification and target biology obviously underpins everything we do in our industry. I would say, if you can't tell me what the target is and the biology around the target, forget it. You know, <laughs> this is not, this is not no longer the era of just like shooting blind here. So I think that, um, so that's one area I'm very excited about. Uh, of course, uh, new modalities. Um, I'm very interested in proteomics, uh, the biology of the ribosome the targets, RNA and sub downstream um, protein, proteomics unlocking enormous potential. We've just seen actually in the last two days, the wonderful data presented by Moderna finally, actually, interestingly, starting to un unpack the potential of mRNA vaccines, uh, great data in melanoma. I worked on ifilimumab, that remarkable drug in stage three, four um, monotherapy, stage three, four advanced melanoma and amazing results. And now today seems as though 30, 40% improvement over that with the addition of an mRNA vaccine. That's a partnership with Merck, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Novartis, yeah, yeah. Uh, great data, and again, exciting because that is an area that's going to just grow. Cell therapies here to stay. Uh, obviously, we've been talking a lot about uh, the basis of T cell, but I work a lot in NK cell. Uh, we're seeing dendritic cells. So, so the cell therapies and modification of those, you know, base editing, etc. Again, a lot of promise there, but also cells as therapeutics to adjust degenerative disorders. Very, very interesting. I'm very excited and intrigued by the data that's starting to emerge in type 1 diabetes and the use of uh, beta cells um, uh, developed through iPSC um, technology. I think, again, isn't it fascinating? We've worked on this disease for so many years, and now we're starting to see some great data. A little company in Canada called Sonova is starting to produce some really interesting data, and Vertex, of course, working in that space. So cell therapies, Amazing. I will. I, I do want to say though that these are all remarkable technologies, and we could talk about autoimmune disease, and we could talk about all sorts of advances in cancer and cardiovascular disease. Having said that, um, I am passionate about diseases that impact people on a global basis as it relates to infectious diseases. I do think that uh, what well, we've seen with COVID, but but let's remember that. 
on a global basis, many, many uh, people today are impacted by infectious disease, now becoming increasingly resistant to all no treatments. Antimicrobial resistance is a hugely important public health topic, hasn't had the funding it's needed over the years. And we are now starting to see more novel approaches to how we can incentivize um, the science into new therapeutics. Obviously, we have to build on the learnings from COVID as it relates to preparedness. And we have to recognize that we are living in a world where, although we, we, we made huge progress over the last 50 to 60 years, we've got a new wave of challenges. And we need to make sure that we have people and capital and government and policy support to really advance in, in that area. And then I'll finish by saying mental health. We can't really have a discussion today about health. Um, without looking at um, how are we as a world on a global basis and, and of course, in our developed healthcare systems, going to put together new models of care for people living with mental uh, health issues and, you know, uh, address this as a challenge to our society to keep people feeling healthy and happy. And then when they do run into some trouble, intervene and, and, and offer access to the most modern and important um, options of care, which will include digital technologies. It will include therapeutics, but it will also include other novel forms of care that we need to redevelop. And I personally run a charity, actually, looking at models of mental health care in sub-Saharan Africa and fascinating work. And I do my work in psychedelics in digital. And I think so non-profit, for-profit, some work with the government. And I think it's going to need a collaborative effort and a system-wide effort to address that. So, sorry, lots and lots of things to be excited about. But, you know, I think the overall theme is, look, at the end of the day, we have to care about health as a core component to a healthy, happy society, wherever you live in the world. And so our industry has an obligation, I think, to continue to think about how it can apply its great people and capital to address these on a global basis and ensure that we get equitable access. Well, thank you for that detailed um, answer, Annalisa. And I, I literally could sit here and listen to you all day. It's not only do you have a very calming voice, but the brilliance that you exude is just amazing. And I actually have a question that we didn't have prepped for, but I want to ask both of you because um, I've learned healthcare sort of from the outside in. I did not come from here and have spent, you know, now better part of 10 years sort of learning it. For a lot of people that are just getting into the healthcare space, I feel like one of the disadvantages that they are at is they live in an unprecedented time of technology and breakthroughs. However, and Jim, this is a nod to you and Annalisa, I get, you know, you're cut from the same cloth. You two have been able to see this evolve over the last, you know, 20, 30 years. And I think there's a true value to that understanding history, understanding where the breakthroughs are and like what's big and what's not big. So any advice in terms of like, how do people that maybe only have three years or five years in the industry, how do they do a better job at sort of understanding the past and really, you know, They'll never have the um, the history that you have and the the knowledge and the experience, but you know, are there things that they can do to sort of get themselves steeped in it? And probably some of it's, as you said earlier, Annalisa's mentoring. Um, but you know, Jim, maybe you start, and then Annalisa, I'd love to get your thoughts. 
Well, I mean, Aaron, you know, I have had many discussions about it, and I've advised many founders of mainly digital health startups that, you know, please don't tell me you don't know much about healthcare, but you know plenty about, you know, programming, because I want to hear that. I want to hear that you understand enough about the problem you're trying to solve before you try to solve it. So I, I generally feel like a lot of folks think you can throw tech at it. And you really can't in this industry if you want to make you know, the impact. So I think they have to listen. They have to get advisors who've been around a while. And they have to, I think, you know, at least at minimum in the focus area they're in, be it mental health or, you know, fertility or any number of other areas, that they have to be talking to the end user. You know, they have to understand that. Um, and they have to understand the process by which this all happens from regulatory to manufacturing to all supply chain to every element. And it's, you know, Annalisa started it off, you know, it, we respect the people that, you know, get the details, right. It really matters in healthcare um, more than many other possible areas, but the details of how it works and how disparate it is internationally uh, is really important. So I guess I would say, you know, to anyone coming into a space, make sure you've got a a really great advisory board. And at a minimum, which again, I think we've all been part of those. Um, and then secondarily, you know, make sure you're getting sector experts on your team, surround yourself. I did this with people that are smarter than you and know the space more. And that usually your great idea can take shape and, and see the light of day um, if you surround yourself, I think, by the right people. Yeah, I, I exactly. It's all about the team that you build. I often say to people that uh, three things, be inquisitive, look and listen. So be inquisitive is really important in our industry because we don't operate in isolation. I mean, we are operating, um, building our businesses, uh, advancing our programs and our products in a, in a world. Um, and there is a context. So, for example, you know, the macro context matters to healthcare, particularly if you care about your products, therapeutics, um, having an impact globally. So be inquisitive. I used to read Newsweek. I read The Economist. I read the papers. I read way beyond my area of expertise, number one, every day to consume it. Number two, uh, I guess that's a way of actually doing that and enabling and accelerating is it surround yourself with experts. Couldn't agree more. I think the look and listen is, you, you know, you have to be prepared to listen and understand and ask questions. And you have to be prepared to observe and watch. And if you want to put the patient at the center of everything you do, understand the patient journeys, understand the experiences of patients, um, you have to be very good at, at looking and listening. And I don't think one can bring products to market with medical value that will deliver progress until you've done a lot of looking and listening. And Aaron, that's what, how we've designed the company, the listening piece of it. You got to start with listening, and that isn't normally what people start with um, by nature. You know, they want to talk, 
and be heard. So, you know, if you start with listening, like I think we have, and then you apply the right technology, you have the right experts, you know, these were the five pillars of our original differentiation in the market. And I think, you know, that has borne out as the way to, you know, kind of navigate this new world that we're in, um, which is very tech, you know, look, most of it is a good thing. Right. Most of it, the technology coming into healthcare finally after a long time where I think, you know, they weren't talking to each other. I think there's more and more cross integration. You know, you and I both know lots of people at Salesforce and Amazon. They've got terrific people there um, that should meet him, Lisa, and vice versa, that we've organized at conferences, et cetera that people like Sanjay are going to cover in, you know, the Life Itself series. I think those things, bringing these things together is the essential breakthrough we need to get it to more people, which was Annalise's goal. So we want to get more of the advances to more people as equitably as possible. We, we need tech to do that. You know, that's not going to happen without that. I agree. I agree. The application of, of the digital uh, tech, as I mentioned earlier, the AI machine learning solutions, is going to fundamentally disrupt the entire continuum from the bench all the way through, actually, to optimizing our ability to deliver our solutions into healthcare systems globally. Now, I'm a dinosaur from a technology point of view, but I find nothing more exciting than sitting in a room with really smart um, data scientists and engineers and listening to them and learning from them. Because ultimately, as you get to my end and our end of the career, you're really in leadership roles. Leadership roles is about how do you bring all these people together to make great things happen. So I'm always very comfortable about not being the smartest person in the room. In fact, I'm most excited, actually, to be honest, when I'm the dumbest person in the room. Although I think my new chat GPT uh, app is making me very excited because now when I feel dumb in a meeting, I can just type something in and then it's going to give me the answer. <laughs> so, um, you know, even those tools are helping us, you know, potentially in the future to be more effective. Um, so, um, no, I, you know, this, Jim, I couldn't agree with you more about this interface of, of people coming at health from different parts of our ecosystem and our job as leaders is really to bring them together to make great things happen. Yes. Yeah. And, and I do love your nod toward generative AI. And we've been talking with uh, Brandon Pletch, one of the gentlemen on, leaders on our team about how we can apply it. So I love that you use it that way. I think we have two questions left for you, Annalisa, and they're more big picture questions, right? I'll ask the, the first and Jim can ask the, the final. But we've talked a lot about, you know, what you're excited about and what you've done, but what keeps you up at night? You're, you're one of those people where back to the history part, you've seen a lot. Um, you've seen a lot of the good, but there's still a lot to be done out in the world. Yeah. Uh, what keeps me up at night is that I, a lot of the business models that have evolved um, in the last 15 to 20 years are focusing on narrower and narrower populations with higher and higher priced therapeutics. So very high price for very small populations and technologically, of course, really advanced really advanced. What keeps me up at night is how are we going to uh, enable these advanced therapeutics, cell therapies, gene therapies and the like to uh, be available 
um, on an equitable basis globally? And what does that successful uh, private sector enterprise model look like? I think that is a really important uh, topic for us. And my second one I mentioned earlier is how can we ensure that the right incentives are in place? And there are lots of different ways to do this, but um, so that human and financial capital continues or, or, or flows into the public health and generally health issues that cause the most suffering and distress on a global basis. And then, you know, I think we both have a lot of wishes for how this could go. But um, if you had one wish, right, for the world, for the industry, you know, what would it be? I think for the world, it would be that everybody wakes up every day with access to water, food, warmth, and health as a fundamental human right. And that that would be viewed uh, not just purely in isolation of a healthcare agenda, but a much broader uh, global health security and one of economic um, security and broadly sort of a societal agenda. And I think that's really what I'm trying to use my platform for a little. And related to that is obviously my desire to see half of the world's population, namely women, get access to um, clinical trials, get access to education, get access to um, medical care and therapeutics um, on an equal basis. What a great way to end the show. Annalisa and Jim, thank you so much for doing this. As I said, I think our listeners will agree we could listen to you forever. Um, we have the the fortune of having some really smart guests on, but you definitely uh, were delivered as advertised. So thank you so much. Well, I think, Aaron, you know, what we're always looking for is this concept of health citizenship. And, and I think, you know, Annalisa embodies exactly what we're looking for and what we want to create through our community, um, which is greater health citizenship, which is what she's talking about here. So thanks, Annalisa. Well, we're global citizens, and thank you so much uh, for inviting me here today. Want more episodes of the Real Chemistry Podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Stitcher app, or iHeartRadio via the Health Podcast Network. Go to realchemistry.com for more info.